This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Returning to Eden, a field guide for the spiritual journey. Returning to Eden is a book by Heather Hamilton for people who resonate with aspects of Christianity but struggle with the coherence of its claims. After having a mystical experience that shattered her evangelical beliefs, Heather Hamilton found herself on the journey that every true spiritual seeker ultimately takes. The highest truths that set us free are hidden in places that most people are not looking. Returning to Eden re-examines the Bible stories of childhood and opens them up as symbolic maps into the inner world. Stories like Jonah and the Whale, the parting of the Red Sea, Noah's Ark, and the Virgin Birth are illuminated with penetrating depth and intellectual integrity. Faith is no longer a white-knuckled grip on implausible beliefs, but a relaxation into a deep inner knowing. You can purchase Returning to Eden by Heather Hamilton at Amazon.com or at ReturningToEden.com. Hi friends, I'm Tim Whitaker and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. What's up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is a special one. I brought on my friend, Carlos Whitaker. He is an author, a speaker, an ex-evangelical, is that even a word? An ex-evangelical person. And we went through his story on this episode. He has a crazy story. We talked a lot about his journey 
kind of leaving white evangelicalism, what 2020 did to him, his new book, How to Human, and everything in between. So this is a very engaging and fun conversation that also has some, at least for, for me, some really surprising moments. And I really appreciated Carlos's uh, vulnerability coming on and just explaining where he's at and what he's working through. And I think, honestly, that's the beginning for anyone of healing and finding better paths forward. So Carlos, thank you so much for coming on. Friends, make sure you check him out on podcasts or on Twitter. Twitter, Instagram, you know, check, check, check out his book, etc. It's really worth um, listening to it. He, he does really great content. That being said, as always, thank you for being here. If you like our content, that's the new evangelicals. You can share this podcast. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can, I don't know, tell our friend that we're on Instagram. I don't know what you want to do, but either way, however you share our work helps people know that they are not alone as they navigate their faith journey and I also want to say that we are a nonprofit organization holding space for thousands of people. If you want to help support the work that we do, you can donate via the link in our show notes. All donations are tax deductible. That is how we were able to give you all this content completely paywall free. All right, friends, without further ado, here's my interview with Carlos. Talk to you later. Big news, friends. The podcast is heading back to Theology Beer Camp hosted by Trip Fuller. Now, Noah and I went last year, and it was an amazing time. We met so many of you, and we're doing it again this year in October. You'll get to hang out with podcasts like ours. You have permission with Dan Koch, The Bible for Normal People with Pete Enns and Jared Bias, and so many more. And there are amazing scholars like Adam Clark, Thomas J. Ord, and John Dominic Crossan with more speakers and podcasts to be announced. The sooner you you get tickets, the cheaper they are. In fact, if you use promo code TNEGODPOD, you'll get $25 off your ticket. Let me tell you something. If you are looking for better ways forward in the Christian tradition, this is the event to come to. Yes, you get to hear from some amazing speakers and hear some amazing lectures, but the secret sauce in beer camp is that you get to hang out with these folks and listen to them in conversation. Plus, you get to hang out with Noah and I for a few days and have a great time. Use promo code T-N-E, GodPod, for $25 off your ticket, and I'll see you in Missouri in October with me and Noah, Trip Fuller, all the great scholars, all the great podcasts. I'll see you then. Wow. All right. Um, Carlos Whitaker. I've been on your podcast. Now you're on my podcast because I'm a good Christian. I, I you are such a good. Am I am I on the new uh, evangelical Christian circuit podcast circuit? Is that what? Is yes, that what's you are. Right now, yeah. Is this 100%. the beginning of it? This is the beginning. This is the beginning. This is the beginning. So Welcome good, to dude. the podcast, Carlos. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for having <laughs> me. I uh, I uh, I'm, I'm I honestly am. I'm pumped. I'm honored. I I just can't wait to get in the weeds with you. So well, you and I have been we, we we've been chatting here and there. We've gotten dinner together. I've been on your podcast. We've yep. we've texted about some stuff. So I, I feel like this is a a friend conversation. Yeah. But but you are a man of mystery to me, and Ooh. I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> okay. All right. I so the first thing I want to ask you is, what gives you the right? 
No, that's just, I'm just kidding. That's from The <laughs> Office. That's the Michael Scott quote. Well, and also, FYI, I've only watched two episodes of The Office in my entire life. What? So I wouldn't even know. I know. We're, we're already <gasps> starting there. Your your listeners have already logged off and canceled me. Like they, I'm logging off, bro. I'm done. <laughs> I, I've never stopped a guest, but I, there's a first for everything. Yeah, there is a there is a first. And to be fair, uh, because this was such a controversial topic on my Instagram, I everyone was like, "Are you kidding me?" I actually said, "Okay, listen, tell me the episode I need to watch, and I'm going to watch it live on Instagram." And and so I watched uh, three episodes live on Instagram with my entire Insta familia um and 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 was enjoying it and I was like okay I mean, maybe I can get into this so what episodes did you watch now I have to know I know I know it was it literally I just went the first three they were trying to give me a whole bunch of you know and then and then the whole conversation was no you got to get past season 1 <laughs> and I'm like when, when there's all these rules about shows I'm like no I don't want rules I want I want to either like it or not like it. Listen, I feel you, okay? For the record, season one is great. You have Hot Girl, you have Basketball, Healthcare. They're, they're, those yeah. are three top tier episodes right away. Yeah. Um. Listen, I will... Actually, you know what? I just feel led. Jesus, I just come before you right now to pray for Carlos <laughs> and, and to pray for a spirit of renewal in his mind to, to start oh, watching man. more Office. And now my audience is triggered. Now they're all oh, they driving are. off the road. So. <laughs> <laughs> for the five people that are left, uh, yeah, yeah, right. let's, let's jump in. Let's jump in. <laughs> so, Carlos, I mean, you and I have chatted here and there, but I am kind of curious, like some of your your background. I mean, I don't really know. Did you grow up evangelical? Is that how you grew up? Like Christian? What's the background there? Let's just yeah. start with the basics. Okay. So let, let me go basic. When you say the word evangelical, what does that mean? Uh, you know, like either Hillsong or John MacArthur, you know, something in like that vein of like the ethos yeah. of Christianity. Yeah. So, okay. So let, let me give you mine. So I, I grew up, um, this is, this is actually going to be crazy. My father was a pastor at Primera Iglesia Bautista de Pico Rivera, first bilingual Baptist church in Pico Rivera, East LA. So my dad, uh, was the pastor of a um, of a bilingual church where he would preach in English and in Spanish. So he'd preach in Spanish and then translate it to English because all of the uh, all of the older generation in his church they didn't speak uh, English, but then all the younger generation in his church, the kids, they didn't speak Spanish. So he literally was like Dios es el mismo wow. en inglés y español. God is the same in English and Spanish. So I grew up a preacher's kid from the moment I was born in East LA in Pico Rivera. I was born into a Baptist church. Like I was Baptist, not only Baptist, but a Southern Baptist church in Southern California. Reason being, my father uh, is a first generation immigrant to this country. He was um, it, raised in Panama, in Colón, Panama. Like I'm, I've, I've taken him there to go visit like in the slums of Panama. And it was, my dad is like the prototypical Southern Baptist evangelical success story. He is like, <laughs> he is like, like the, the kid that they did vacation Bible school in the church's backyard and the missionary, all the white missionaries came from the States to do it. And then my dad got invited to church, got taken on a little bus and went and loved the puppets and then started going to church and ended up at uh, Bethany Baptist Church in, in Colón, Panama, where he kind of was raised through youth group, all these things. And then my dad ended up um, immigrating to the United States. And so it's really my dad's kind of uh, faith journey that landed him as as the pastor of this tiny little uh, bilingual church in East LA, which is what I was born into. So yes, very evangelical, very Southern Baptist, Baptist faith and message. 
Uh, my dad worked for the Southern Baptist Convention up for the for the um, after he was a, a pastor there. He worked for the Home Mission Board, which became the North American Mission Board and did like missions here in America kind of deal. And so, yeah, man, that now you know. I mean, that's that's where that's kind of like my the lens in which I viewed yeah. the world for a long, long time. So were you someone like me who kind of always owned their faith, was kind of like one of the good kids, always wanted to be a Christian? Like, was that, did you kind of inherit your parents' faith and make it your own? Did you not? Like, what was that journey like for you like, through, through like your teen years to young adult? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, teen years. Okay, so we moved, when my dad got the job at the home mission board, we moved to Atlanta. And, you know, it was a little complicated for me because we we moved when I was, you know, in elementary school. And here I was this young black Afro-Latino, uh, mm-hmm. which the term Afro-Latino wasn't even a term back then. Um, and we move into into the South. And my dad is like, hey, well, I mean, he's Baptist. He's Southern Baptist. So we've got to find a Southern Baptist church. And so we did. We found ourselves a, a Southern Baptist church in Atlanta. And I mean, my dad will, you know, he, he can't re- recall these things now, but stories he would tell me about like our first Sunday there, he's like, literally he was told by a deacon, we're not allowed to go to that church because they were like blatantly racist. Like, you know, so like, like we were, so, and and I butted up against that my entire, my entire life. So, so I kind of found myself in this, in this position of trying to appease the white Southern when I say Southern Baptist, not just Southern Baptist, but like Southern Christians and, 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 and really becoming as white as I could be Mm. because in order to be successful in what I felt like was the South, I had to be like a good white Southern boy. And if I could do that, then, um, then I would have a lot more success, which was true. And I, I, I saw my friends kind of through high school getting what they wanted because they were so I was trying to portray as much as that as I could the problem is I'm not white <laughs> and and I have and I had an afro and and so th- there was there was there was this like there was this resentment inside of me um mm. I, not only towards I think my friends and the culture I was in 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 the church but also even my parents like like why would you why 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 did you pick this for me like like why 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 was is this version of um of of growing up into my high school years the thing that I'm having to battle? Like I was literally an all white high school. Like I just I I wasn't ever able to be fully me. And so I think that there there was that's where that rebellion kind of came in. And so I I tried to be like the perfect Southern kind of Christian boy, uh, but I was I was butting up against that like in in the reality of my life. Uh, whether that be you know drinking and partying and kind of doing all the things, but I think I had my parents' faith. It was one hundred percent. I was just kind of cookie cutter. My parent, my mom and dad's faith, all the way up t- until, I mean, dude, and th- I mean, and then I ended up become going on staff at a at a Southern Baptist church in Southern California. So like all the way up until, you know. And then I worked in North Point. So like, like, you know, like, like I, I was in it, bro. Like I was in it all the way up until into my adulthood, into raising my kids. And then, yeah, probably 2016, 2015 started to maybe ask some bigger questions that I'd never asked before. 
Okay, so let's pause right there for a second because I want to go back to what you said. This is very important, I think, for for my audience who I believe is predominantly white and trying yeah. to kind of you know understand the world in a different way. And I don't want to put I don't want to put words in your mouth. So tell me if I'm if I'm reading what you said wrong. What I'm hearing you say is that when you first discovered like like the American South and like the, and like the Southern Baptist people over there, you encountered two different things. One was just blatant racism. Like, hey, your skin 100%. color doesn't jive here. But also, it sounds like you also encountered a colorblindness that also made you assimilate into whiteness. Is that yes. fair to say? That is very fair to say. And that that colorblindness was something that I never fought against, something that I actually probably perpetuated in a lot of my friendships. I mean, I I, I remember specifically around my groups of friends, like they they would tell black jokes in front of me. Like, like, and I just remember kind of like shying down and shrinking down, never kind of saying anything because I'm like, I don't, I, these are my only friends. Like I, I can't lose this group. And so um, there was a lot of, there was a whole lot of that. And, you know, um, hindsight always being what it is, uh, looking back and now, <laughs> you know, it's now seeing the adult version of these teenage boys that I was friends with and seeing kind of where, mm. what tweets they're liking these days. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I see now, you know? And, yeah. and so yeah. it yeah. all makes sense. Well, that that's important. I wanted to draw that out because I think I'm realizing more and more how even the terminology of colorblindness actually isn't as colorblind as we're led to believe. And its history yeah. actually is based in trying to maintain the status quo. And so yeah. a lot of people I'm meeting, like uh, my friend to me, Spencer Helms, wrote the book Unleavened. Her story is about going from the black church, assimilating into colorblind white Jesus, but then yeah. realizing that, 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 that she still had to lose part of herself to assimilate into even the colorblind theology. It's still at yes. a, a predominant view. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I wanted to tease it out of you because when you said that, my like, antennas went up like, oh, wait a second. I, yeah. I have new language for this now. Oh, right? yeah. And so, yeah. so that's very helpful to understand for sure. Absolutely. Um, okay. So, so you go from that to being on staff at several churches. I mean, listen, North Point is, is no small church. That's right. Andy Stanley. Yep. So obviously to a degree, at some point you had to decide, I like this work enough to want to go into full-time ministry. What was that part of your journey like? Yeah. So I was um, in college at California Baptist University in Riverside, California. And when I first, um, when I, when I first went there, my roommate was like, Hey, um, there's a church called Sandals Church that, you know, where we meet in a basement and it's like really, and I remember thinking like, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm coming from like Baptist, Southern Baptist Atlanta church. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, like sandals? Like, yeah. What is this? Is this like sandals cult? resort? What? Yeah. Like what is happening? And I joined and it was like, like a, it was a small like gathering. Like it was, it was meeting in a church basement at the time uh, in Riverside, California. And I just remember going and it, there was like a, this guy named Moy, he became one of my best friends and he was like leading worship. Even the term leading worship, you know, like they were like, this is a worship leader. I was like, what's a worship leader? Like, right. like what, what is this? And you know, we're, we're singing like in the secret, in the yeah. quiet place. Right. And there's like bongos yeah. on stage. And I'm just of like, course. this is, oh, I'm getting like goosebumps, you know, during worship, you know, during singing. And I was like, the, whatever this is mm. was nothing like anything. I, I literally 
uh, two years prior was in a handbill choir called the Tintinabulators. Okay, so like, like I am moving from being in the Tintinabulators to playing bongos in the basement of a church, and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever, and I was a hook, hook, line, and sinker. I'm in. And so my journey became just kind of attending this church called Sandals. Um, and and then maybe it was like seven months in, I'm still in college. Um, Moy, the again, the the bongo in the secret guy was like, Hey man, like, like you I heard you play guitar. And I was like, Yeah, he's like, dude, you should, you should, you should play on the worship team. And I was like, What? No way. And so again, at Sandals, I am um I joined the worship team. And okay, okay. I mean, I, I may be getting too in the weeds here. T- stop me. Do it. Man. Tell the story. Okay. okay. So I, I'm, so this was like, this was era Jars of Clay era, like, like first, first Jars of Clay record, right? And so oh, yeah, yeah. I remember, um, m- like, I was playing um, uh, Worlds Apart. I am the only one to blame for this, right? And I'm like playing that, like, you know, that, that E progression on the guitar, right? Just kind of going up and down. And Moy was like, dude, you should play that. Uh, you should play that for church, like at the end. And I was like, wait, they'll, they'll let me just play a regular song. He's like, yeah. So I played that Sunday. And I just remember like in the middle of the song, kind of stopping in the middle of the song and saying something to the crowd. Like, I don't know, like, okay, so this next part of the song is whatever. And I, that may have been the first time that any worship leader ever said anything during the songs, like taught or talked. And after that, the pastor, Matt, came up to me and he's like, dude, like that was amazing. And next thing you know, like I am the worship leader. Like it, it, it was one Sunday, one jars of clay song to now I've, wow. I'm like, I'm printing out like song sheets and I'm putting it in the binders and I'm hosting tryouts and I'm like full fledged worship leader. So that began my journey of being like an on staff worship leader um, in a church. I was there for 10 years at Sandals Church uh, in Riverside, California as the worship pastor. And I was there for a decade from that wow. moment in college for 10 years later. And so again, the, and so, 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 you know, that was I into it, into it. Like this was like, you know, this was like first passion record, first Hillsong United record days yeah. where I'm just like, what? This is amazing. Right. We're playing, we're covering every United tune every week. I'm just trying to be Charlie Hall and Chris yeah. Tomlin doing the best. Charlie I can. Hall, man, that's a deep cut for come, me. Come on. Whoa, <laughs> man. Sorry. I just got triggered some flashbacks. <laughs> Charlie Hall. Hey, listen, that's that's oh, a guy wow. you want on this podcast because you want to hear his journey. I'm telling All right, you, I will write him down. Yeah, right, right, write What's that his down. song? I may be, it may be dark, but God is light or something like that. Uh, uh, into Mar- Marvelous, Marvelous Light. light yeah. on road. Come on, dude. <laughs> oh, so, I'm writing that one down. Okay, yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. Sorry, so that's, all that's in. a blast in the past. Yeah, you're yeah, all yeah, in. Yeah. So I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm on staff. Um, and I think, you know, I'm there for a decade, man. I mean, that's a long time to be on that's staff. That's a long time, bro. Long have time. a mar- marry my wife there, have our babies there, adopt our son while we're there. Um, and then I stumbled upon a friendship with a a guy that was on staff in Atlanta at North Point, which at the time from, I mean, North Point was like, I mean, they're putting Andy Stanley on video screens from the floor to the ceiling. He's like right. hologram, hologram. <laughs> and I just remember as yeah. a, as a like service, my, my job was a service, a service programming director. I can't remember what it was at the, at the time, you know, churches make up fancy names for, um, for jobs now. And, yeah. uh, and, and so I, I somehow, through through um, a journey ended up at North Point, like leaving Sandals, 
ending up wow. at North Point. I was at their Buckhead campus. So there was three campuses at the time. I was at their kind of in the city campus uh, as, the, as the service programming director over everything on Sundays, uh, meeting with Andy uh, every, gosh, two or three times a week. I was helping him write it, you know, with creative for his sermons. I was over all the music and production and video. And dude, that was like the, honestly, like, like for like tech worship, you know, music people, I was like, I was the top, bro. Like they, it was it. For That's sure. where I was. And that's probably where I started to have some some wrestle. That's probably where um I I was not a, I was not welcomed. Um not I mean the the Andy and Jeff and my bosses, you know, and even most of the people around me welcomed me, but I was an outsider. Like I was like this tattooed, mm. bald dude coming in from Southern California to the North Point culture. And at the time, literally the, the, maybe it was the month I got there, it went, they just made a rule that you could wear jeans uh, on Sundays instead of slacks. So like, like khakis at North Point. Wow. So like that, that's when I was there. So, you know, I definitely was ruffling some feathers there. And so I didn't last very long, maybe, maybe two years. Um, and, uh, and then I, you know, I bounced. So, well, it's interesting so, yes, I mean, as a professional drummer playing at a place like North Point or Elevation, you know, those are like seen as the pinnacle of of just tech and, and excellence in worship music culture. Right. Yeah. I mean, regardless of what you think about Elevation's theology or about their lead pastor, like they pump out records and oftentimes they're really well done. They're really well arranged. They're oh, really sure. catchy. They're well produced. Right. Like, like, like you any any serious musician respects the work that they do on just a purely technical level. And North Point is no exception. Um, so it's interesting to me that you tell me you've reached like the the peak, <laughs> right? Of what is the dream? I mean, yes. I mean, I don't want to, I, I know life is complicated, but I'm listening to you say I'm getting paid to be a worship dude at one of the largest churches in America. I wake up thinking about music and worship. Yeah. And yet I was still, I that's when I started wrestling yeah. that's yes. when i started asking big questions help me understand what's going on so i i just uh, so here here was the rub i i've always i just i always had this heart for people that weren't in the church and when, when i say that I, I don't want it to sound like i was like this evangelism dude i didn't i didn't have a heart i i I, and i still don't i I didn't have a heart for like going and saving people or leading people to jesus actually like i i did that that wasn't a care that i had i mean i don't don't know if that's you know whatever so that wasn't my heart but i did have a heart for people that would were never going to come yeah like because here's the thing most churches there was this model uh, at least at at north point it was uh, at the time it may be different now but it was like there's different, um, they had the foyer, the living room, and the kitchen is kind of how, I think it was North Point, maybe it was, it was another church, but that's how they described their different environments, right? So Sunday morning worship is the foyer because that's where people first enter into your home. And then the living room is like small groups, right? It's like, like, and so there was a four in the living room in the kitchen. And I just remember pushing back against that going like, well, what about the people that are never going to come into the foyer? What about the people mm. on like on the sidewalk? And so th- that was my, my initial wrestle was with this idea that somehow Sundays were, 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 were the goal was the goal. And, and my wrestle was like, 
I don't, I don't feel, and again, I had no, I failed out of Bible college. Like I'm, I've, I've, theology and me aren't like, we, we don't party. Right. So like <laughs> I have theology, but like, I'm not like smart with it. Right. And I just remember thinking like, I don't know, like, is this can't be the goal, right? Like, like this thing that we're producing with all these lights and, and the music. And I believe God creates music. I believe God, it gives us, gives us the ability to feel emotion. And so, you know, I, I don't, I don't really ever get into that side of things. Like I'm, I'm fine with, with, with music that makes us feel, but I just kept thinking this can't be, this can't be it. Right. So, so one of the, <laughs> I think the beginning of the end for me uh, at, and in my time there was, um, I did this thing called the Buckhead Music Project while I was on staff. And it was pretty cool. Like Je- Jeff and Andy both gave me like, Jeff Henderson was my my boss at um, Buckhead Church. And they both gave me a long leash, man. They, they were like, listen, we hired you to kind of shake things up. So I started this thing called the Buckhead Music Project where I was like, hey, we have the foyer, the living room, the kitchen here. But like, what about people that are never coming? Let's go, let's go to clubs. So I I kind of created my own like, <laughs> the the my my programming team at church i i mean i'm remembering their faces now how confused they look i was like we're going to be like like a promoter in 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 atlanta and i want us to start having shows in uh clubs and so like we have a lot of great artists that lead worship most actually most of the worship leaders were like actual artists that were actually doing you know they they weren't working at the church so they were actually doing music and the worship leading was an extra way to pay bills um whole other conversation but Right. We we um I I asked them, hey, let's go to Eddie's Attic in Decatur. We had a show there. We had a show um all over Atlanta. We we started having shows all over Atlanta. And I was like, the only rule is you can't come, you you can't bring somebody to this thing that would ever come to church with you. Like, like, like I don't want like if you if if you have a friend that's like, no, I'll come to church with you next week, they can't come. This is just for them. And so we were playing cover songs, we were doing all these things. And anyway, whatever. So that was kind of my way of starting to like push against whatever the Sunday is the secret. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, no, Sunday's not. I want to go out to to the people. Like, I want to go out and see what the, what are their needs? Like, like what do they need? Like, like, how can we pour into that? And so Anyway, there was there was a little bit of conflict. Again, this was a long time ago within the the leadership. Uh, like, man, I don't know. Like, people are buying drinks and people are drinking beer. And Carlos right. is like, we're promoting this as North Point. And so right. that was when I I just was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to fit really well inside a structure like this. Um, yeah. And you know, come to find out, it was probably better that I um, that I didn't. You know, because I feel like what I'm doing now is you know. Well, I mean, you, you, you did go from, Hey guys, we can have jeans on the platform now to, Hey, who wants to buy a drink? I mean, pretty yeah. quickly, right. For an organization no, that's it was like, really fast. <laughs> uh, one of the, one of, one of the pastors there, one of the pastors there once uh, pulled me into his office about a year into me working there. I worked there for two years and he said, I'll never forget. He looks at me. He's like, Carlos, you're kind of like nitroglycerin to this organization. <laughs> and I was like, I remember thinking like, it, what, what he goes, you can make us go really fast or you can blow us up. And, 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 and I just remember being like, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't going to work. No. Right. I mean, at that point, writing's on the wall, right? Okay. Yeah. So what, okay. So that happens. You eventually leave there. You go to an, an, another church. Is that what you do? Well, no, I, I sign a record deal with integrity music and I moved to Nashville and I become the next uh, greatest 
failure of a CCM artist. So I, <laughs> I, I am like leading, <laughs> I'm leading worship at North Point and then Integrity Music's like, dude, you're a great worship leader. So next thing you know, I moved to Nashville and I do, I sign a record with Integrity. I make a record. I'm touring with, uh, this is the year after I leave North Point. I'm now on tour with the Newsboys, literally the Newsboys, um, who were, who were these bands? Disciple, Cutlass. Oh, yeah. And then I was like the opening, 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 opening band. It was me and and some tracks in big arenas and nobody would pay attention to me. And I'm up there, you know. And so now I'm seeing like like the the behind the scenes of the Christian music industry, right? So not only did I just leave kind of the guts of the mega evangelical church, and now I'm like getting the behind the scenes and the guts of like CCMville. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is just a disaster. And also to be fair, my life at this moment, like my decisions I was making, I was like self-sabotaging my life. Like I was in the darkest season uh, of my life. And so like making poor choices, really, really ruining a lot of relationships around me. And yeah, I, I moved to Nashville to do that, to put out, you know, to become a CCM artist. And I was on tour with uh, John Mark McMillan, Jeremy Camp and me. That was one tour. Another tour I went out with the Shanes. Uh, that yep. was my first tour, and then I and then I did the Newsboys tour, and then I was like, I, I, I'm done. Like I I can't I can't do this anymore, and so that's why I moved to Nashville, but never was on staff at a church again. Wait, why were you done though? Like, what was the moment where you're like, was it just too much bullshit behind the scenes? Like, what no, was going on? No, I mean, I was I was the majority of the bullshit behind the scenes. Mm. Um, the, but for me, it was I actually Tim, like I I didn't enjoy making the music. I I I actually. More and more people were telling me, Carlos, you're just, you're a lot better at talking between the songs than you are singing the actual songs. A lot of people were like, because, oh, I also had a blog at the time for anyone that's old enough to remember what a blog is. And it was called Ragamuffin Soul, like very cool Christian name. But, so and cool. It, it was, I mean, I had like 20,000 readers a day that were on this blog. And so I was writing my feelings every day. And, and, and I always, I, I just was always pushing the envelope in kind of the evangelical circles. Like I was, I remember uh, this was like 2010 and like I made a video of me taking Paxil because I was I, I was on an antidepressant. And so I was like, hey, listen, I like took my Paxil and just on camera so that people could see, hey, here, I'm like a pastor at a, at a church and I'm on, dude, I got in so much trouble for, you know, for doing that. Because again, you're wow. not supposed to show that you do. And so like, I just was always kind of disturbing and disrupting that circle to where, you know, I just, I just, it was always just this rub. It was always a rub that I could never, um, I, I just was never totally comfortable in it. So I, um, in, in my own way, I, I understand much of what you're talking about, especially being the yeah. rub. So, um, okay. This is a fascinating story to unpack. So let's keep going. Cause I have more okay. questions along the way. So, so the, the CCM thing blows up. It's a disaster. People are telling you, Hey man, you're fine at singing, but you're great at talking. You yeah. eventually say, I'm out, I'm done. Now there's Carlos with your wife, I'm assuming, yep. maybe some kids, I don't know. And yep. you're in Nashville and your career is done. And now yep. what do you do? I mean, that's like, that's a lot of layers. You got to find yeah. work, make money. So yeah. what do you do from there? Yeah. So I am at that point when I was, when I was, when I left, uh, I, I kind of got out of my record deal I was leading worship weekly, once a month at Elevation. So I was there, like one of their main worship leaders at Elevation. Uh, I was still, I'd go down to North Point. I was at Saddleback. 
Mm. I was at a church in Vegas. So like, it was still paying my bills, worship leading, although I wasn't like assigned worship artist touring anymore. I was still like, my gig was leading worship on Sundays. Um, yeah. And I just, more and more friends of mine were like, you're, I'm just telling you, Carlos, you're a better communicator, speaker. So I, because I had a blog that had some, you know, some readership, I was approached by um, Zondervan, which is a Christian publisher. And I mean, they, that is the Christian publisher. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're and huge. they offered me a book deal. They offered me, uh, and I remember at the time going like, ah, oh, man, like I'd love to write a book, but I don't know if I could like be a speaker. I don't know if I could like talk for longer than two minutes between a song. Um, mm. And so I, bro, I mean, I kind of just went all in. Like I, I, I literally went, I tell the story in, I maybe enter wild one of my books, but I go to my laptop because I, you know, I pray about it. I do, I do feel like God's like, yeah, this is the direction you should go. And yeah. so I, I um, go to my laptop and I, I remember I canceled all my worship leading dates. It was like 84 of them for the rest of the year with one email. And I said, the Lord, the Lord has called me to be a speaker. And, and so like, I'm just letting you know, I'm going to send your deposit back. But if you want a speaker for your event, I would love to come and speak fully thinking that, that they're all going to email me back the next day going, of course, like, you know, but it, the emails were, no, we have Bob Goff. We have Craig Groeschel. Right. We don't need, we, we don't need you. Uh, and so it went crickets and that was pretty scary. Like it was, a, yeah. uh, it was a scary, scary, I say season. It was probably like a month where I was begging, man. I was, I was like, where can I speak? What can I do? Um, and then craziest story, but, um, it was 2014 and I had just sent that email out. Um, and I remember I'd quit leading worship. I'd quit doing music and I'm just going to be a speaker, but nobody's booking me. And I got an email about a month after from the White House. And the email said that, listen, this is so crazy. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yes. The email said, um, the White House would like to invite you to give a devotional and sing one song at President Obama's Easter prayer breakfast. And literally in, in one day, I go from not having any speaking gigs to my very first speaking gig being literally in the, in the East Room of the White House, sitting at the table, having breakfast with President Obama. And let me tell you what happened. He saw a video of mine singing with the homeless man on Facebook. So I like I had this video where this homeless man walked onto my uh, music video set and started singing with me. So we kind of cut the production and he just kept singing. The video went viral on Facebook. President Obama saw it and asked his faith and family secretary, Joshua Dubois, I want that guy, whoever that is, to come and give the devotional. So that's how President Obama found me. Well, what? So, so, so he, that is here, like a freaking movie script, no, dude, bro. So, Here's the kicker. The, the kicker of all kickers is here I am, the son of a first-generation black immigrant from Colón, Panama, and my dad shows up with $20 cash and a shoe shine kit. And he used to always tell me he shined shoes at LAX for two years uh, to make enough money for one semester at community college. He always told me, Carlos, one day you're going to have dinner with the president, so make sure that you have your manners. He'd always tell me that when I was growing up. And it was so crazy that I got to... um that he knew that I was going to have breakfast literally at the table with President Obama. And I end up getting to have, uh, so Joshua Dubois comes up to me after and he goes, hey, the president wants to have a one-on-one -on -one with you and your wife because Heather got to go in the red room. 
So I walk into the red room. This is the greatest story of my life. Walk in the red room and I'm waiting for President Obama to come in. And of course, after sweating, he comes walking in there. I'm like freaking out. He claps his hands like, Carlos, how are the girls? Right? Like he's so prepped right outside the door. Probably somebody tells him that I have to. You're right. Him. Right. You know? yeah, but he, yeah. he comes in acting like he's, and I feel the second I see him, I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's my best friend. Right. We're like, you know, kind of bro it out, you know? And so I tell him, um, I go, uh, my dad, he just, he's a first gender. He was asking me about my family. I was like, my dad, he's so proud. He's an immigrant to this country. I was like, he's so proud of me. He goes, let's call him. And freaking President Obama lets me take my phone out, call my dad in the moment. And he goes, Dr. Whitaker. And literally my dad to this day, to this day, he doesn't have a lot of memories. He, he remembers that one. He got to talk to the president of the United States. Um, and so, so, so here, here, here's, here's where a lot of my story shifts. Ready? The greatest, one of the greatest days of my life. Um, here I am getting, wow, I'm, yeah. I'm singing. I, I lead a devotional in, in the white house. I sing nothing but the blood of Jesus, um, in, in the white right. house. Pres, President you're, Obama. you're a former CCM evangelical worship leader. <laughs> Yes, right. And so President Obama is is uh, is singing with me. Like he's singing right in front of me. So I go on to Instagram, I may have been Instagram, and I post pictures, right? And I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, like yeah. I'm like, look, it's me and the literally the president's like right here. I'll send you a, a photo of it. Maybe you can stick it in your video. And we're like arm in arm, you know, smiling. I'm singing the song, I'm leading a devotional. And I put that on my Instagram. This is the first time that it clicked for me. I got trashed. I mean, I got destroyed by my followers, like on Facebook and like, how could you eat with that Muslim blah, blah, blah. And it, bro, I was shook because I, I'd never even dabbled in politics. I'd never even talked about that stuff on my, any of my socials. And th again, this was 2000, maybe 15. Um, I got destroyed. And that was, I think the first time that I felt this, wait a second, where, where, where am I? Like, like I, like, where, where do I lean? Like, what is, what is happening here? Uh, when I was on staff at North Point, I was very open that I was voting for Obama, and I did like a lot. I was getting a lot of crap from people, and I just remember for the first time being like, I don't think I line up with a lot of people uh, that are that I'm around all the time. And that was kind of the beginning for me. And then after I posted that thing about leading worship, it, I was freaking leading worship, singing your hymns in the right. White House. And I got destroyed, like destroyed. And so that was the beginning for me of going like, okay, there, there's other stuff I got to unpack. So anyway, wow. I know that was a lot. I wasn't even planning on going there, but. No, well, I mean, I'm glad you did that. First <laughs> off, that is a crazy ass story. That is like literally someone wrote that for a I movie know. kind of story. And also I am not surprised that when you post it to your followers, we're probably mostly in the evangelical spaces that they exist in. You got trashed for it, right? Because trashed. me as someone who grew up on talk radio during the Obama years, right? I know what they were saying about him. I know oh, sure. I voted for Romney and for uh, uh, McCain. Cause that's what good Christians yeah. do, you know? Right. So I, can't say I'm surprised, even though, of course, it's disappointing. Sure. So you yeah. ha you have this moment that is like maybe like the first real whiff of the smelling salt for you. You're like, whoa, something yes. is like wrong. And then 2016 pops up, right? Yeah. Like this moment yeah. happens where now, you know, we're all watching this yeah. guy named Trump just kind of take over the Republican Party and then becoming more and more popular in evangelical spaces by 
several, maybe dozens of prominent evangelical leaders. And yeah. what I tell people a lot all the time is I say, it was so weird for me being raised by people who were so staunchly strict about, about my own sexual ethic, yeah. then mad at me that I couldn't vote for the guy on the cover of Playboy magazine, the guy in his third marriage, the guy you know bragging about sexually assaulting women. Like It felt like, wait, you guys taught me to have this kind of integrity. I'm doing yeah. what you taught me, but yet I'm still the problem, right? Like, yeah. It's still my yeah. fault. So yeah. what? So for you, when when Trump hops on the scene, and I'm you know, like you said, you know, maybe some some old friends of yours or whatever are tweeting about this guy, you know, and, and you're a Christian, and you're still you're still you're speaking. I'm assuming more in like the Christian evangelical space still. A hundred percent. Okay, so what are you yeah. thinking at this point, bro? I, I'm thinking. First of all, I did I. I like the night that the election happened um, and the night that that he won, because remember Hillary, like she, she had the party set, like the balloons were about to drop. Like, Oh, like totally. It, it was, it was. And then literally it was like, I'll never forget. I had a conversation with one of my kids who woke up the next morning, literally scared, scared because of, of like of rhetoric that was being spoken by followers of his, um, and friends of my kid, of my child, who were saying things, and then my child looking at her skin. And I, I mean, at this point, like it was like, if you are Mexican or if you're black, like especially at the very beginning. Not not that it didn't get worse, but there was palpable fear. Yeah, palpable fear in my kid when when this and the fact that there was palpable fear that happened. Inside of them, without me even leaning into that, this is just stuff that they're hearing through their through their own friendships, bro. It, I, I and oh, I was actually on my way down to Atlanta to record a podcast for this podcast called Parent Q that I was a part of back then, and I just told them I was like, I can't, I can't record this podcast. I'm, I'm physically not okay. I was physically not okay, and I, I don't think I even because I hadn't seen Trump enough yet to even understand. Mm-hmm. Why, everything that I was going to understand over the next four yeah. years, it yeah. was a gut thing. It was this, it was this, oh, like, and so I, I mean, I actually, I'm going to call Reggie. He's the guy I had the conversation with and see if he can't, because we ended up having a conversation on the podcast about how I felt versus how he felt. And, mm-hmm. and he was, he, he's like, I voted for Trump. And he's like, Carlos, you didn't, how are you feeling? And we, we went back and forth on it. I'd love to actually go back and hear my words and the language as to what was real because it was so guttural um, that and it was it was based on you know all his Mexicans comments and all the things that yeah. that that he had set up to that point that I started to feel like I didn't have a place like I started to feel like um, um, if if this is is this really what all of my church friends and close friends are like running towards like this this. Like I, it was very confusing for me, and and yeah. I did. I spent I spent a good two years really lost um, as to my my love for the local church, my love for uh, the church I was a part of. What what year was that? Twenty sixteen. Yeah. Um, and and confusion as to I I I put this. I've never felt more confused about my place in yeah. Christendom in America. It got really confusing really fast. Well, you know, I, this is actually maybe a good a good point in the conversation to kind of compare and contrast because I had the same feelings, but from di- a very different place, right? Yeah. So I never experienced racism. I colorblind supports the way that I am wired to see the world and the way that my body is designed to, you know, exist in the world. So, yeah. 
you know, Trump was confusing for me, but I was still able to go on for quite a few more years in those spaces because I wasn't the target of mm. Trump's rhetoric, right? I yeah. wasn't the Mexican. I wasn't the, right. the 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 enemy. I was still on the inside. But I understand now more than ever, I didn't understand it then, why so many people, especially folks of of other skin colors and ethnicities, you know, really yeah. saw it as like as like a shocking oh, oh I'm not safe here. I'm not safe in this space. That that was literally it was one from one day to another the wow. level of of safety shifted and i never felt that in my entire life and again th- if it, if this was Mitt romney that was present i wouldn't have felt the same way this was yeah. literally a specific thing from a specific individual that yes. changed the landscape of safety for me and and i i'd never felt that before right like it was yeah. it was it was very traumatizing well, how was it on the speaking circuit right now? Now, all of a sudden, your career is tied to this like really predominantly white evangelical world of publishing yeah. and just, you know, the whole ethos and yeah. and your income is tied to how well you can do that and speak to those people. But yeah. now, you know, like, oh, in our heads, we are yeah. miles apart, uh, even yeah. if we claim the same Jesus, which maybe now it's not the same Jesus anymore. I'm not sure, you know, like what were yeah. you thinking and how, how did you navigate that? So from 2016 to 2020 I, I was still existing primarily in faith spaces in evangelical spaces I was I I'd written a book I ended up writing a book called Kill the Spider um, mm. that came out in 2017 2018 which was actually a very um it, it was a very safe way for me to continue to engage in evangelicalism because it was all about uh, behaviors behavior modifications and the root of our sin issues and so I was I was able to like I was still being invited because oh this is a great concept kill the yeah. spider you know don't clean clean the cobwebs and I was able to continue in that um in in a way that that was okay although knowing whenever I'd get invited to whatever church that like I knew like I'm like I'm like I actually this is what I felt I felt like and I even played into this a little bit in order to keep my job I felt like the safe black guy like like Oh, oh, like, like we can, it, Carlos can come because he's going to come talk about this. He's high energy. He's funny. Our people love him and we're, we'll probably feel good about ourselves. You know, so they, I won't say right. every church is like that, but I think a lot of churches, right. you know, many churches were, we're, were, we're like diverse. That. We're diverse. Yeah, look, we have Carlos come and speak. Look, yeah. I mean, I would look at their speakers. I would look at who, and it, it was me. Like I was, I was the one and I kind of, you know, again, being as real as I can get. That was paying all of my bills was the evangelical church and speaking and selling my my books. And so I I just I tried to not ruffle feathers. I tried to um keep it as you know plain as as I could and and vanilla and speak to what I was speaking to, never talk about Trump, never talk about any of these things, just kind of be silent, you know, all of these things. And bro, it was it was fine until uh 2020. <laughs> You know, was, really quick before we get to, to, to 2020 where were you with like the queer inclusion conversation like, did you feel like, like like you had to hide part of that or were you on a journey yourself to kind of get there like what was that like yeah for you? I, I was probably you know remembering that i was um raised southern baptist right yeah, like like, right. like even though like my dad was a panamanian immigrant like i i, I was still baptist faith and message and right. so uh, for me like like my first like true friend that was gay. Like I like I'd never had any any uh queer friends. And I had my my very first one, um, when I say friend, I mean like let's text every day, 
was probably 2015. And that was when, for me, I was like, I just really love this person. And I became a defender. Like I suddenly became like, I felt like every conversation I was having was defending them, was defending mm. them. And so I think for from 2015, honestly, to 2020, the, Inclusion was 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 probably not something that I would have said I I, I was at. I was I was more defending their humanity. Yeah. Um, and and I think I think that that shifted in twenty twenty. It definitely shifted in twenty twenty to where, um, oh my gosh, dude, it it just became that that became probably as much as race. It became the the other thing that I was just as fired up about like um not fired up about broken hearted about when, mm. when it came to the to the evangelical church. So I think 2015 is when I became a defender. 2020 was it wasn't a defender anymore. It was a I don't even know what the word like an ally or something like yeah, that. Like or, an ally, I guess yeah. would, would would be what it is. So, um, all right. Yeah. So let's get let's get to 2020 then. So what happens in 2020? This is now Trump's it's, it's our second election, right? I mean it's, it's Biden versus Trump, yada yada yada. Uh yeah, I I'm I'm just giving people the political landscape here, right? Yeah. Trump is saying that uh in November it's probably going to be a rigged election. This is he's saying this months ahead of time and you know, uh if Joe Biden does win, it will be rigged and then Joe Biden wins and it, it's rigged and here comes this mass disinformation about, you know, a fake stolen election. So for yes. you now in 2020, what was what what was it for you that made you you finally go i'm out like this is it i'm done yeah i um i was it was a mod it was mod arbery and mm. it was um it that was the first time that i ju i just was like man i i i can't just halfway say anything anymore like i can't just appease all of my you know evangelical spaces that are paying my bills while watching literally watching them at the same time speak blatantly in front of my face on well he he shouldn't uh he was in the wrong place at the wrong time he never he was probably up to no good he was running in jeans who runs in jeans and i just bro it was like just the noise the noise and finally i snapped and i made a video made a video called uh how my white friends can support the black community and bro it was the most vanilla video i'm telling you I look back at my videos now, what I've done, and it was like, hi, everybody. Um, my, my name's Carlos, and like, I just, I, I like, I love everybody. I love you all, and I just want to be, I just want to be, be very, like, to let you know that, like, um, you know, black people, like, really need your support, and this is how you can do it. But, but let, you're not racist. And like, I mean, dude, it was just, it was so, like, I was just like, uh, and I hit publish, and I had, uh, if, I may get the math wrong a little bit, but I had 30,000 Instagram followers, maybe 33,000 Instagram followers when I hit publish. I woke up the next morning to 22,000 Instagram followers. <gasps> and You're I kidding me. Nope. I lost a third in one night, 24 hours. And bro, I screen captured him. I, if I, I, the DMs that I got. <sighs> oh it, and and so, so let me tell you what happened. Tell me. I'm freaking out the next morning. Like I, I didn't even think twice about it. I did before I hit, but I, so I hit publish and then I don't think, and then I wake up in the morning, I've got hundreds, maybe even a thousand DMs from people that are just ripping me apart, calling me a Marxist, like all the things that I, I've supported you. I prayed for your daughter when she was in the hospital. I can't believe I wasted my prayers on you. <gasps> I like, I'm, dude, 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 it was brutal. 
And so they are all publicly letting me know they're, you know, all my, all my mentions were people that are like, I'm so disappointed in Carlos. He's calling me a racist. Um, yada, yada, yada. So I'm freaking out. I see my followers and dude, at this point, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a Christian speaker that like uses Instagram to book his weekends. So, you know, I did, I frantically, I ran to my phone, I pulled up the video and I hit delete. And so I go because I was like, I was like, screw this. Like, I, I can't, I can't do this. I'm going to put up an apology. I'm going to tell all these people that left, like, I'm sorry. Cause dude, I'm here. I, I've got three kids, teenagers, bills. I'm literally just looking at my bank account, freaking totally, out dude. going like, what did totally. I do? Like, I'm not about to martyr my family for, you know? And so right. I'm just like, so I, I, literally, I, I, and I hit delete on my phone. Right. So I, I go to the video and I go delete. And when I hit delete, I'm not kidding you. Another pop-up popped up on Instagram and it said, are you sure? And I swear to you, if that was not Holy Spirit himself, like, like <laughs> I was like, oh crap. Like I literally, it took me 10 minutes to hit delete. Like I just was like, oh, do I hit delete? Do I hit delete? Finally, I got the courage and I was like, delete. And then it was like, are you sure? And bro, Tim, I'm telling you, that was a defining moment for me. The first mm -hmm. defining moment was hitting delete. The second defining moment was hitting cancel. Cause it said, are you sure? And I just hit cancel and I left it. And I was like, no, I, I actually feel like this. If I bothered this many people, yeah. screw it. Let me just bother everybody. So that was the beginning of me teaching people, my white followers, how to be an ally. And you know what? Sure enough, a month later, uh, it may, I think it was Demi Lovato shared one of my posts and poof, 50,000 followers. Then Kim Kardashian shared one of my posts, poof, a hundred thousand followers. Then next thing you know, I'm starting to get all of these people and, and I'm starting to get a lot of people that felt like me kicked out of the evangelical church. Yeah. A lot of people that were done, a lot of people that were. And so then I, I just found myself in this space. I think I found you in that season. I found myself in the space of like, I don't really know where I'm at. A lot of things are shifting in my heart and in my brain. I mean, honestly, like even the, right. a lot of the LGBTQ plus things, like I'm like, well, what do I think about that? Like, mm. like, like, yes, I'm an ally, but how much of an ally am I? When am I going to become all the way of an ally? How comfortable are my LGBTQ friends going to be? Um, with me going like, I, I don't know. Is that okay mm. for me to say? Like, am I going, you know? And so, um, I, it just, it, all of this stuff started coming out in me that I just, I felt more empowered in that season than I ever have in my entire life. I felt more made for the conversations that I ever did. And so that's really what happened in 2020. Um, and, and so it began with, it began with that Ahmad Arbery video and watching my followers disappear and then starting to watch these new people show up. And then a lot of the a lot of those followers that left started coming back too, going like I was wrong. Like, you know. And um, yeah, so that 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 year was a lot of work on race for me. I spent the majority of my time on Instagram teaching on race, teaching on racial reconciliation, began speaking at a lot of companies uh for DEI, because I got uninvited from the evangelical church, right? So like I'm like no longer, no longer able to preach because they're not having me anymore because, because Carlos is talking about Marxism. Carlos is talking about being a socialist. And so now I'm like, well, what do I do? Well, I got to go into the corporate space because they're the ones that are inviting me to talk about justice, but not the church. And so, right, I start getting that chip on my shoulder and now I'm getting angry. But the whole time, I'm still plugged into my local church. Like I'm, I am, I'm still plugged into my church here in Nashville. Not as much the church as I am my pastors. Uh, they're just some close friends and 
they walked me through that season and there was there you know it was complicated and it still is but not as much so well really quick um it's interesting that you know the post that that got you kind of like pushed out of the typical evangelical speaking circuit wasn't you saying hey I'm no longer a Christian. Hey, the resurrection <laughs> never happened. Hey, the Bible's a bunch of bullshit, right? You simply said, essentially, Black Lives Matter and white yes. people. Can we try and listen to the voices of black people, especially as you know, we're wa- we we watched a man on television be lynched right in front of us, right? Right. right. And that, that for them was that was the gate that that you just could not walk through. Um, for them, right? Because the response was no, insert, you know, rhetoric here and now you're outside. And I think it just reinforces for so many of us that these systems are not so much concerned about about right theology as they are around like right political ideology, which unfortunately I'm going to, I'm just going to say it bluntly. It is drawing on a legacy, right? Of, of American evangelicalism, which is yeah. white supremacist in nature. Like it just is. I'm sorry. It just is. I'm not saying every person in there is a white supremacist. Sure. I'm just saying the rhetoric that they're drawing from has it has a goal. It has a goal to center something around itself. Mm. And it's not the the voices of people who usually are the underneath the boot of that ideology. Right. I'll put right. it that way. Right, <laughs> right, right. No, totally, totally. No, that makes sense. That, and it was, it, it was, it was the, it was the conversation of Ahmad, but it was, I, it was the first time that I ever put a hashtag black lives matter ever. It was the first time I ever did it on an Instagram post. Woo. That was it. Game over. That was it. So you mentioned a second ago that it's still kind of complicated. What does that mean? You're talking about like how you relate to your current church or like your own theology, just where you stand in the in the faith. Like, what is complicated for you? Still? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'll just I'll I'll be honest with you. Like, like it is a couple things are complicated. I think that that um, I to oh, let, let me let me go let me go here first. Let me just start with like LGBTQ, um, like how that is still complicated to me. That what, what's still complicated to me is as I as I read the scripture and as I as I balance everything I've learned in my past with everything I feel in my heart, right? Yeah. So like like there is there is like this this guttural feeling of of total acceptance inside of me, which is which is like fighting for marriage equality, fighting for all of the things that that I feel like all of my LGBTQ plus friends deserve. Um, and but there's still a battle in me as I as I read as I read scripture and as I go well God like what what do I do what do I do with 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 honestly who I know as individuals what I feel in my heart towards them and what I read in in this book that I've vowed to follow my whole life and so I find myself in this tension I find I find myself in where a lot of my LGBTQ plus friends. Are helping me walk this out, like, and this is what why I'm so appreciative is, you know, I I have this silly phrase I say all the time. I don't stand on issues. I walk with people, and a lot of the insta familia LGBTQ plus community is walking with me, and they they've been my safe place. They've been my my place of like, okay, so what do I do with this, and uh, and uh, how do I deal with this, and so, a that one that's that's complicated. So like, I've actually never even come to a place because the the word affirming for me is is such a it's been hijacked and it, it's it's such a when you make a when you make a statement i'm i'm either going to lose half my people or i'm going to lose the other half of the people when i say that so i'm walking in a journey towards trying to understand well what are you carlos you know mm-hmm. like are you affirming or are you not i'm like well 
I mean, I think I am, but maybe I'm not because I think this. And so that's one thing that's complicated for me. And I and I wanted to actually share this with your audience because I'm like, come, please come to me and continue to help me, com- continue to teach me, continue to, as God becomes bigger for me, not yeah. smaller for me, right. um, that I think that conversation becomes even more important for me uh, yeah. to be having. So that's that's the first thing. And then the second thing is just the the evangelical context of a church. You know, like I, I go to a church where sometimes I'll see people on the stage that I know were at January 6th. Like, like, like I know myself that they were, well, I didn't march in the Capitol, but they were singing a song on a stage right in front of it. Right. And so, 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 so where do I, what do I do with that? Right. Like, like, how do I, how do I handle, how do I handle what I feel? Well, how I've been pastored to handle it is, you know what? Because uh, for a long time, for about a year after that, I, it was just rage that was inside of me every time I would see that. And then you know what I did? I I, I took my own freaking advice and said, "Hey, I'm, we need to we need to go to dinner because <laughs> I I've got I got to work this out because I I am raging and I'm not able to do what I you know church isn't the experience that I want it to be for me. And so it's been a it's been a process. It's been a process of of hearing and understanding and not agreeing, but but still hearing and um, and walking, walking with people as opposed to um, as opposed to standing and fighting. And so, you know, it. So yes, man, it's complicated. You know, it is. It's still complicated. I'm I'm on tour right now, and on my tour, I'm I'm going to churches that you know I don't know who, who, who you know their their venues, but I'm like, would these people ever even invite me like to speak on their stage if it wasn't for me being on tour and using their facility, like? Right, like it's just it, I'm still in it, and so it's still complicated. And um, that anyway, well, that's a lot of vomit. But there you go. It's good vomit because you know the audience out there knows that I go to Turning Point USA events. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. And I talk to those people. I have some yeah. of their phone numbers. I got yeah. dinner with one of them a couple of weeks ago when I was in one of their towns. Yeah, and the question is why. Right. Yeah. Why? And obviously, Carlos, you're on your own journey. I'm not here to tell you how to how to live your oh, journey. Sure. Right. Yeah. But I, I think at least for me speaking, I've just been I've realized more and more that as I've done my own um, listening, right, yeah. to first off, voices outside of my own perspective and also, you know, theologians and scholars who are just like freaking brilliant, especially when it comes yep. to the Bible. I, I am convinced more and more that at least in the scriptures, we see a narrative that God takes sides. He tends to side mm. with the oppressed and vulnerable consistently. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really a fan that God drowns Pharaoh, frankly. I'm just, sure. I'm putting it out there. Like, I think it's a little too violent for my taste, right? But like God essentially drowns the empire in yeah. favor of the ones that were under the empire's boot. Yes. Okay. And there's yeah. all other kinds of themes there. Yeah. At the same time, if we believe in non-dehumanization, which is a huge uh-huh. core value for me, I know it is for you. And we have people in our society that are participating in the dehumanization of others, yeah. right? How, my What I always wrestle through is how do we, especially as an organization, as a nonprofit, the New Evangelicals, how are we emphatically in the corner of the voices who are marginalized yeah. while also having a posture of invitation for the yeah. people who are doing that marginalization to rethink yeah. their positions and help find better ways forward? Because yes. one thing I, I caught on to pretty quickly is that I know personally, I was not changed by being called an asshole or a bigot uh-huh. or a jerk off. I was right. changed by people's stories, 
right? Yes. Like the first time I ever met my gay friend, I worked with him at Starbucks. Yeah. His life, just talking to him without him even knowing it, changed yes. my entire paradigm, completely yes. shifted me, right? And I know that calling people names doesn't really you know, change them. I, yeah. But I also know that sometimes you have to call out the harm that people are doing. Sure. So the voices that are underneath that boot see that other yes. people see them. Right. Yes. And yes. so I kind of wrestle in that tension a lot where I'm like, I will talk to Charlie Kirk. If he ever reached out yeah. to me, I would yeah. get dinner with him, but I also have an obligation to tell him the harm that he's causing the people that Absolutely. we work with. Right. Yes. And I think that's the rub that I always see myself in. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that, that is a rub that, that, that is a rub that I, I continue to find myself in. It's a rub that, you know, is, um, it, it's, it's uncomfortable for me, I think, because I am still existing in a lot of those spaces. I'm still, I am still being invited to speak in churches. I am still. And so now that I'm, you know, this, the story that I teach on now in churches is, is Acts uh, eight. And, and I mean, I just, I literally told it yesterday uh, to, I was speaking Chick-fil-A corporate. And so like, here I am going, oh, sweet. I speak at Chick-fil-A. I can tell a story of scripture. Well, so here I am telling the story of it, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And I, everywhere I talk about, it, I'm like, he, he was a black man that was riding in the lap of luxury and he was castrated. So he, here we, here, here is genderless. And bro, in 2023, when I bring up this scripture in churches, people do not know what to do. Every night of my tour, I teach on this scripture and you can just see the farther south I get, you could just see certain you know people's skin crawl. But I feel like it's <laughs> so important for me to continue to lean into this and continue yes. to to keep my my finger on the on the pain point that yep. I, people have to feel. And that's what you're talking about. It's like you can't, I can't, I can't just go in, into these churches and faith spaces and keep just talking about how to be a better, you know, right. how to have a better Christian life. Like right. I'm like it's it's there's too many important things for us like politically you know um, culturally that that we need to be leaning into and having right. conversations in order to stop dehumanizing people and uh, so I'm I'm with you you know we 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 get to speak on it maybe to different people that are listening I feel like a lot there is some overlap um, but I'm I'm doing the best I can you know trying to uh, help people in the way that I do. Well, just to wrap up, I mean, you do have a new book out, which we haven't even gotten to this entire conversation, but you have a book out called How to Human. What's the book about? Give us the quick synopsis. Yes, uh, How to Human. I, you know, I, I, I use the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and and how to how to be human, how to see humans, and how to free humans. You know, and I just I just talk about Philip, you know, and and the Ethiopians in a chariot, and I say, you know, you know, I, I tell people in the book. Um, to get in the chariot, and that that is all. I'm. It's what you do when you go to all of these weird conventions that you go to and hang out with. <laughs> you know these people. You're getting in their chariot is what you're doing. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. it, it's just a book about. Um, you know, what's the subtitle that my my editor wrote? That's so fluffy, but I, I know that that you need a fluffy subtitle. Oh, three ways to share life beyond what distracts, divides, and disconnects us. And I think it's so funny every time I hear that, because I'm like, yeah, that's pretty fluffy, but that's pretty impossible to do, you know? And right, so it, right. it's just a book helping people, um, I think, just kind of get back to where we were, uh, or maybe not even back to where we were, but back to where we're supposed to be. Love it. Carlos, it was great, you know, chatting and kind of unpacking your story here with me in real time. Oh, dude, I really I appreciate so it. Yeah, it's a good time, man. And next time I'm in Nashville, I'll make sure I hit you up. I was in town for that pastor summit, but I just, I had no time. It did, you it had no time. You had out. no time for me, dude. I get I it. No I get time. it. I didn't. I didn't. But uh, where can folks find you? Are you on, are you on podcast, social media, Twitter, plug all your yeah. channels? 
Yeah, absolutely. I got a podcast called Human Hope. Uh, you can find it at all the podcast podcast places. Low Sweat, L-O-S-W-H-I-T on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram is Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde is Twitter. So I have two different personalities for both uh, both um, social media platforms. And then uh, that's really it. So find me in those places and I'll either make you happy or sad. Whatever. Just come have fun. Sounds good to me. As always, Carlos, good talking to you. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Whitaker. <laughs>